Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. All right. Give it to me. Got it. Welcome back to the Bleachers. I am your co-host, Jeff Blum, 14-year Major League veteran. Now I broadcast with the Houston Astros. And on the other end is veteran ball player, Team USA ball player, Santa What are, what are you guys, the Broncos? Santa Clara Broncos. Bronco. And uh, all-around good friend, good family guy, David Tuttle on the other side. And before we get this podcast started and rolling, because we've got some great stuff for you, I would like to send a little bit of love towards Louisiana. I know that the Louisiana coast and uh, the border of Louisiana and Texas got absolutely walloped last night by a Category 4. I believe that was the biggest hurricane, Laura, to hit the Gulf Coast since, I think it was 1856. I'd have to go back and check those numbers, but I think it's been that long that a Category 4 has hit Louisiana or the Gulf Coast. And... Uh, some of the images that I'm seeing are a little bit rough. We were prepared to actually take the brunt of that because we weren't sure here in Houston which way that thing was going to go. And, you know, God bless my wife for going out and and battling the crowds and, and getting uh, being patient enough with everybody else to go get water and supplies and things like that. We moved all the furniture from out back. I mean, this is something, you know, having been a native Californian like Tuttle is, you know, the only equivalent is earthquakes. And I know that they're having a lot of fires out there in California right now. So we're, you know, we're praying for all of the uh, first responders and firefighters out there. But at the same time, it's a little bit different out here where you prepare for a hurricane and you just kind of sit and wait and watch, take the evacuation if it's given to you and get out of Dodge. But uh, after watching what was going on, I'm, I'm second guessing my hurricane approach. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what your ideas are on hurricanes, but I've been through about four or five of them, but nothing to the extent this was. And to think that we were actually going to sit through it and try and gut it out um, <laughs> makes me second guess what I was actually thinking. I think next time we will uh, maybe evacuate or try and get a little bit further away from what was going on because that looked pretty bad. Yeah, not to go dark on you, um, but uh, it's a little bit uh, mm-hmm. interesting. I moved around a lot when I was a kid. We lived in uh, Columbus, Ohio for three years as well. Oh, wow. And they don't have hurricanes, they have tornadoes. Those are and I remember the, way worse, man. Well, I just remember the same kind of thing you're talking about. Um, you know, here in California, earthquake prep is like, uh-oh, oh shit, the earthquake's hitting. Like, get into a door get frame or get out. Yeah, like, you got to do something. But it happens, you know, earthquake prep is kind of like buying a house that's safe and um, making sure everything's like, you know, anchored Charging to the wall the and things. C- cell phone battery thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. But, but it's not anything like, I mean, I think to your point, I remember we had to go down, this happened twice in three years where they said, all right, the tornado is going to come over your area. So we went down in the basement, you know, it's uh, cinder blocks and all that. I mean, all the things that you see when, when they really do hit that are, that are horrific to your point. And we like huddled in the basement, you know, listening to the radio saying, okay, you know, uh, it's going to be a severe storm, the winds up to 150 miles an hour, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't know if your house is going to blow away anyway, but at least there was like this hunkering down mentality in the basement. I mean, with a hurricane, I don't know if you hunker down, but you're probably sprawled on the couch, like waiting for this wicked storm to hit. But I think, um, I don't know, it's not a good topic of conversation. I lost my father uh, through cancer and my wife lost her father suddenly with a heart attack. It's kind of like saying, which of those is worse, right? Do you, when Mm -hmm. you have time to prepare for it 
or you have time to kind of say goodbye and do all this stuff. Yeah. In all honesty, if you lost your house to a fire today, or if you lost, you know, your house to a tornado when you're huddled and huddled and huddled and waiting, it's like, uh, you know what? They both suck. And to your point, I think, uh, I think it just adds another feather in the cap of the year 2020. Um, whatever yeah. hit, whatever hit uh, Louisiana. And again, yeah, we send our, our prayers and our thoughts and our condolences out to everybody that's, uh, you know, just dealing with another event of this crazy, wacky year. Yeah, hopefully they recovered quickly. I know that uh, it's always tough, the uh, water damage, wind damage, wind looked insane. Uh, and, you know, to your point about 2020, there were supposed to be two hurricanes that were, all, were on us. And the one before, Marco was actually supposed to, it was right in line to come get us. But uh, it, it, for whatever reason, reason uh, broke up and left. But Laura went through and left a path of damage. So we're thinking about all of our listeners out there in Louisiana and on that uh, east coast of Texas. But we are gonna, we have a lot of good things on tap, of course, brought to you by St. Arnold. Uh, there, were, there was a shakeup in a broadcast booth in Cincinnati. Uh, there's a lot of things going on in the world of sport. I know that uh, there have been some postponements. We'll have a little couple of thoughts on that. And uh, the Mad Bomber, Phil Mickelson, went to the Champions Tour and uh, uh, announced his presence with authority, shall we say, by going out there and playing in that Champions Tour for the first time in his career. Uh, am I missing anything else? Tell you you're going to sneak one in on me. What do you got? Uh, no, that's it. Uh, okay. no, I think that's what we got. Yeah. All right. And of course, we've got what will Tuttle say, and uh, I've got a pretty good Blum's Blast. You want to stick around for that. I know that what Tuttle says is always a great, a great thing and highly entertaining, but uh, uh, I, I've, got some, I've got some stuff about baseball. I know that this is a baseball podcast, but maybe not the baseball news you were expecting from a guy like me, who is usually somewhat positive, maybe not to the Tuttle level, but somewhat positive. And uh, uh, Social Nostra Network is where you can watch us. That's why we record these on video and you get to see our pretty faces no matter what the hair is doing today. This is post-walk hat head hair. And uh, you get to check us out on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes for all the audio podcasts. And, must, and might I say, and I don't, I don't remind Tuttle about this often enough, is that we are approaching 200,000 downloads. I know that doesn't sound like a lot to some of the mainstream podcasts, but for Tuttle and I, that is a major accomplishment considering this is going to be podcast 84. But uh, congrats to you and uh, to being on the Social Notion Network, man. Yeah, we're, we're actually accruing some listeners. I actually uh, took a Very screenshot. Very consistent. I love it. Yeah, consistency is the name of the game. We talked about it on baseball and how baseball transit, you know, translates to life. I mean, I think, you know, again, we've said this before, we're not doing this for fame and notoriety, but we really like the outlet and we are generating a following and we have a lot of consistent listeners and followers that are getting to know us and appreciate what we bring to the table. I took a screenshot of my Instagram the other day. Um, I think it was a social Noster post that had a couple cool things on there, but it said um, like 3,300 views or something like that. I'm like, whoa. Dang. I never had 3,300 views on anything yeah, that's that, crazy. I've, yeah, that I've posted out there. So uh, anyway, yeah, it's, it's exciting. And uh, yeah, we're hoping that the, uh, that the audience grows and that the audience likes, likes what we have to say. Now, of course, we already mentioned what's on tap. We have these postponements in major sports and we have a shakeup in the, uh, in the broadcast booth. We have some uh, other like harrowing news in the sports world. So who knows if, uh, who knows if this is going to, launch into uh, greater things or if sports is just you know spiraling the drain like everything else yeah seems i mean everything seems to be spiraling but you know what was kind of funny about last week's podcast we got uh, i got we got more feedback on the the near beer than we did anything else mm. 
Maybe we should just go into the beer. beer Let's do uh, it. The beer business. Let's have <laughs> St. Arnold in and talk to us about the benefits of non-alcoholic beer versus, yeah. you know, versus beer that has a, get, a get nice high alcohol content. Yeah. I had no idea that there, in that there would be a niche for near beer, just the pure pleasure of hoppiness. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I wish we could be a little more joyful and have a little more, more fun throughout this podcast, but there are some tough issues out there in sports right now. Um, you know, there was an incident in Kenosha, Wisconsin, a couple of days ago, and that has really sparked another Gavin Floyd type situation where there are protests and riots. But this one is actually reached a little more, a little bit further into sports. And now remember when Gavin Floyd, George uh, Floyd, George Floyd, George Gavin Floyd, Floyd was, was a pitcher, was a I pitcher. believe. That's right. out of the game. Hey, we're hey, we're a baseball podcast. You're yeah. right on target, Blumer. But apologize yes. for that, George Floyd. George Floyd was murdered and uh, sports weren't going on. So there was really no reaction. It was more, you know, social media and things like that and activism in the sense that they got out and protested and walked with uh, some of the groups. And this is a little bit different where we had an incident and now sports is playing and we saw the Milwaukee Bucks take the initiative and postpone their game. I believe that the, they are going to make some of those games up, but it just kind of sparked a little bit. And I think it would be remiss if we didn't talk about it. I don't want to get into the politics on who's right, who's wrong, what happened or incidents or evidence, because that is out of my realm of, of knowledge. Uh, you know, I'd like to stick a little bit more to the sport and let that other stuff iron itself out. But, you know, I think one thing in watching all of this and seeing the visceral reaction from the Milwaukee Bucks and other teams around major league baseball, I think one thing that kind of hit me is, uh, you know, Black Americans are right. There, there does need to be a change. I, I you know, it, not that I needed this to believe them, but being around the, being around that culture and being around those athletes and around those communities, especially here in Houston, you know, one of the more diverse cities in all of America. And, and you know, my daughters are friends with, uh, you know, Black Americans and, you know, people from the Middle East. And, and you know, this is a really unique situation for them to be in. But now, you know you know, we need to recognize what they're going through. I had no idea that off the field, it would be that drastic and that, uh, that, uh, you know, deadly, so to speak, or as, you know, they have to be on guard constantly. That kind of freaked me out a little bit, but we need to respect that and make an effort, uh, not just for their sake. And I think this is more of the greater picture is not just for the black American, but how about for all of Americans? Because, if there's a part of our community that is being threatened, why don't we stand up and help them not be threatened? I think that's probably the biggest key I want to take away from this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stop right around here and see if Tuttle's got any thoughts on it. But that's kind of where I got to is, you know, this is not a black American issue. I believe it is an American issue. I have relatives within the police force. I know they're great people and I know their intent is to protect us. But at the same time, this, you know, this, these one-off, incidents need need to be stopped and i understand that well and i think you you touched on a bunch of things there um but i think ultimately i think this is where it can get politicized you know where people say well black lives matter and everyone's like well all lives matter and you know i mean again this isn't a political statement this is all lives do matter and i think what um the saying that always comes to mind is that you know rising tides lift all boats I mean, this is something that we can have empathy for, sympathy yeah. for, but we're just never going to completely understand it. But I think what you said is, is, is spot on. And that is, if we understand that this is going on and we have the power and or the wherewithal or the energy and the community to fix it, then let's Great just word. fix yes. it. Yeah, let's fix it. Because I think LeBron was on the other day saying, 
you know, this isn't about this specific incident. This is about making change. And I think the other flip side today is it looks like the NBA playoffs are going to resume tonight. And I think there was a lot of, you know, I mean, nowadays you can just hear on Twitter, everybody's snapping back, but it's like, well, if they resume today, then what they did yesterday is essentially, you know, a wash, but it's like, no, I, I think we finally come to this point. Mookie Betts said something that he'll never forget this day, meaning yesterday when he just said, you know what, I'm not playing today for the same reason and MLS canceled some games. And it just was like you said, it was like this wildfire, I think. Mm -hmm. And what was catching on was that we can't just keep doing the same thing over and over, right? This is the definition of insanity. Do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. And, And I really do commend all the sports kind of unifying and conjoining and saying, look, we need to do something that will foster or, um, create a change and you know maybe people like us in general we've talked about being in the clubhouse and growing up in the clubhouse where we I wasn't affected by this I didn't feel any (laughs) animosity towards anybody based on their skin color or their culture and LeBron said the same thing I mean he's at a fame level now where like he could stay in this realm or Michael Jordan when he played right I don't want to get into politics but these guys can actually manufacture some change and manifest some change and I think what we saw yesterday was a tipping point for, yes, we're going to actually take a step towards making this change because we think it's the right thing to do. We know it's the right thing to do, but also because we have the, um, I think they believe now that they have the ability to kind of foster some change. And I hope that that does light a spark or light a, uh, light a fire under many of us to, to make that change. Yeah. And do it together for the greater good. And I think that's where things get lost. That was one of the notes I put down is, you know, ultimately, you know, leadership is, is in this country is voted on obviously, but you know, that's where I think things have kind of got, gotten askew is where you, you said community. And that was, you know, I, the collective good of our community is not maybe leadership's agenda anymore. And I think that's a huge problem and that's created a huge disconnect where we have, we, where athletes feel like they have to postpone a game to get a message across. And that's probably, probably more important to note is that in today's society, you need to react uh, extremely sometimes to get, you get noticed by people who don't have your collective good in mind. And that's probably the biggest thing. And I, I, I'm just going to end it right there. If you want to finish it off, you can, or you can lead us into the next subject. But I know that's a tough one for us because you can look at us and obviously say, you don't understand or you don't know, but I think we've said over and over and Tuttle said it again, being in that clubhouse and we've said it so many times, just sport itself, not just the baseball clubhouse, the NBA locker room, the, you know, the football locker room or the clubhouse at a, at, at a golf course. I mean, those are some very small microscopic societies being performed on a daily basis. And that's where we learn to communicate. And that's where I learned to, to, you know, accept people of, of different color or different culture and diversity and embrace them. Because like I just said, we had one common agenda and that was to go out and win ball games. Yeah. I believe uh, one of the original African-American golfers like Calvin Pete had uh, trouble with that right back at the masters mm-hmm. initially in the sixties and things yeah. like that. And, and we haven't really, I, I would say as a society, we haven't really come that far. I think what happens is we just similar to like a VIP pass, you know, somebody will handle Tiger Woods is the greatest golfer. So you get a VIP pass. You're cool. You know, Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player on the planet. Uh, You get a VIP pass. You can come over here and do things that others can't, 
And we, we've got to get beyond that. And I think what you just said is great. So we have the microcosm in this clubhouse, the microcosm in this clubhouse, and these are really nice examples of how we can all get along and work together. Let's open those doors, right? Let's let everybody out in those doors and let them kind of push out into society and show everybody how it's done. And I think that sometimes that's the biggest issue is that, you know, folks don't know how to make a change. And so we do need some of these yeah. uh, examples, these clear cut examples. And like I said, that's not political. That's not like what the right thing to do is. I'm not claiming, as you said, we're not claiming, I mean, look at us like spiky haired <laughs> blonde guys that grew up in Southern California. Like exactly. we don't, we don't pretend to understand what it's like to, you know, get pulled over by the police and be suspected of something without doing anything. It's just, it's so far from the realm of possibility that we all just need to open our minds, open our hearts. And as a group, you, you, you like the word community. I'll stick with that. A community um, oh, you nailed a, of one, right. And, yep. and work together. So hopefully yesterday's walkout, yesterday's po postponements don't get lost in the shuffle as we resume sports. Um, but it does uh, facilitate and foster some change. It does. Um, let's see the the topic. Uh, oh, come on in, get on the podcast. What's up, babe? What are you doing? Corey's going to make an appearance, but you're not going to know it. She's going to be incognito. Oh, nice, super <laughs> sneaky. You yeah, know what? I barely know Blum Blummer now has a green screen. I do have a green screen. Yeah. You got a green screen? Let's put a like a weather yeah. a weather map up back there. <laughs> He's saying hello, but you're 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 now my green screen is what you That's are. Right. We're going to put up all kinds of like fun stuff in the background now. Like a weather map. Just tell her yeah. that to do the weather map. Hold yeah. that green screen. Then. <laughs> what are anyway. you doing, babe? I'm podcasting. It's all right. She's making copies. All right. Well, this is great. This is good content. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Hey, I'm making copies. <laughs> making copies. Dude, deuteroma. I thought, I thought copies were a thing of the past, right? Isn't everything hey, like are you PDF? Doing? Is that a copy machine we have in our house, honey? Tuttle is making complete fun of you, by the way. Yeah, why? I just have to do a copy for the daughter. You know where she got a job? Oh, yeah. Yes. My, my oldest daughter got a job, dude. How about nice. that? That's Big great. day. Yes, Are you going to share where she's working, or is that going to inundate she the, is, she is now, Starbucks she is, or something? No, she's in training at McDonald's. Did we that? There's a McDonald's down the street, and she's <laughs> now she went and goes, she goes, I'll get a job. Kind of nice. like, I'll get a job. I'll show you. All right. And she took off. She came back. She's like, I have an interview at McDonald's. And then she came back and goes, I got the job. Awesome. Yeah. Well, money. I don't eat McDonald's, but you know, yeah, if, we don't. If, None if, of us do. Yeah. If it helps your daughter's business, my, my uh, gal on my uh, daughter's soccer team, he's, uh, they have two of their older siblings work at McDonald's here in Ladera. Oh, no uh, old building. They love it. They love working. There. They do love it. Okay. Yeah. 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 They like it. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Hey, McDonald's, oh, just for yeah, just for you and Corey though, McDonald's has really good coffee. I mean, it does have really good iced coffee. So just telling you. Hey, what was your first job? Do you remember? My first job was bagging groceries at Alpha Beta Grocery Store. Alpha Beta. Yeah, fifteen and a half. Groceries. Groceries. I don't even have an Alpha Beta anymore. <laughs> Dang. Well, I think they got bought out, but yeah, you know. that's that's like playing for a team that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And you know what's really funny about that is there's hazing there, right? We talk about hazing in baseball. The first day on the job, the guy said, all right, um, you know the salad dressings where they separate? You know, uh -huh. we got to market those better. So you got to go down to the salad dressing aisle and shake the salad dressings. 
so that they that the oil and vinegar will combine is so that when people walk by they don't see that separation so i'm down there shaking the i'm down there shaking the salad dressing <laughs> and i'm like this is so stupid there's no way that i have to do this and i'm That's shaking incredible. the salad dressing so. reenact are you doing it like the shake wave or are you doing it oh yeah no just you know shake it put it back shake it put it back shake it put it back and then it starts to separate as so you get like five bottles in and you're like the manager comes by like, eh, that's not looking so good. You're like, it right. oh my God. Can we continue God. here? First job. First job. Mine was working at a batting cage. Oh, well, that's a rough one, Blummer. Oh, well, the, the rough part was it was an indoor batting cage and they had brick dust in the, uh, in the cage. And I mean, it would just create this cloud and I'd have to rake it every day. And you, but I hit, yeah, I'd call, I, I now have brick lung, but yeah. uh, I got to hit for free every day. I should have been there a better hitter. Well, you should you should give it no a better hitter. You should give uh give the batting cage credit for your uh for my your, success. Her, she, yeah. She's all yeah, she's a part of the podcast right now. now. You know what I need to do so, is so guess hold on. guess where my first job is. I'm gonna I'm gonna Yeah, oh yeah, let's hear what her first job was. Come on. Videotron. Do you remember actually going in? That's like that's like booty that's renting like booty blockbuster. Oh, I do, yeah. It was like yeah, it was uh it was a small franchise of video rentals, yeah, for sure. Video what movie was that? You lived like an 80s movie. I did. And then this the creepy manager asked me to stay after and he wanted to teach me how to salsa. Oh, God. Like, oh, my gosh. You know what? Actually, I'm good. So I found a new job. Huh. Nowadays, oh, they have cell phones, which is crazy. But could you imagine Corey going home to her dad saying, hey, I stayed after at work today to do some salsa. Like, yeah. what? Like, yeah. you freak out. I know. At least well, I had be the down sense like a to yeah. be like, you're a creep. Yeah, now you yeah. can get in a lot of trouble, right? You can't oh. do that nowadays. No, you can't do well, you that. can. You just tell everybody <laughs> to shut up. <laughs> Friggin' people. Yeah, and then I made. Or you could, or you could own the Washington Reds or the Washington football team. Oh, Anyways, that's a whole other story. Hey, we got to do this, so I'm not right. on the podcast all day, honey. He has stuff to do. <laughs> Bye, Corey. Awesome to see. You. <laughs> hey, you know. We can make uh, Kevin edit that out, but we got, or edit it up. He can cut that up. We got some good first job stories right there. I know. Seriously, it actually is good. I mean, you get to, I mean, no respect for the podcast. What are we doing? Tuttle, get us back on track for the love Are we of professionals or not? So you talked about the upset in the Cincinnati booth, and I think it's a good transition yeah. from what we were talking about in terms of social justice and um, kind of having an open book. I was going to kind of take it in a different direction. And part of it was going to be what'll Tuttle say, but I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So, yes, you know what a hot mic is. I think I do now that I'm doing podcasting. But scariest thing ever. Well, maybe, but but here I'm going to take Good it a point. little. Nope, I'm going to take it. it a little I, different I like angle, it. right? A hot mic is scary if your moral uh, character is sus suspect, and that's <laughs> and that's all I can say. I mean, like, I don't get why it's kind of like, well, if I knew the mic was hot, then I, you know, I would never say something like that, or you know, I, then I would I, disguise my true intentions. Exactly. You know, I, I I have no idea what city Tom Brenneman was talking about. I have a few in mind, but don't really care to be honest with you because yeah. we talked about we've talked about being in a clubhouse and, you know, kind of accepting people for who they are and, and understanding um, humans in general, because mm -hmm. there's all walks of life, all kinds of people that we've come into contact with, whether it be school uh, with our kids or whether it be in a clubhouse or whether it just be, um, you know, out in the general population, which we spend most of our life doing. And I just think that I, I read some of the apology, but I guess my whole point was 
we can talk about the hot mic specifically. And we love to talk about how baseball and sports in general are a microcosm of society, which is fairly accurate. But you know what? I've never said anything remotely close to what Tom Brenneman said. And it's amazing, actually, to me that he's kept it hidden so long that he can say stuff like that. And now you wonder, like, you know, what he said, like, hey, you know, Mr. Producer Guy. And there was a really well-written article talking about, um, you know, when the mic's off and the camera pans the fans. I don't know if you read that. I think that was, was on The Athletic. No. Anyway. But, you know, what guys say in the booth, right? If it's three mm -hmm. just guys like, hey, you know, it's a nice sunny day here in St. Louis. Check that, you know, and <laughs> and it's been going on for years and years and years. Oh, and that's man. nice. But you know what? You got to you got to, you know, you've got to be professional. If you have good moral character, this isn't something that would ever come into play. And so, yes, you might be worried about a hot mic on an Astros broadcast because you might, you know drop an F-bomb or you might say something like, hey, that burrito sure was good. I got to run to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Like that's not, yeah, right. That's, but that's, you know, that's on you, but that's, yeah, you know, that's human nature. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know, some thoughts from you there on Mr. Brenneman. And, and I, you know, I, I just, I don't know where else to go with it. Yeah. There, so that was one of the things early on that I learned is that what a hot mic is. Um, obviously I, I've told everybody I have those two buttons in front of me. One's a cough button, which shuts everything down. I can't hear, I can't speak, and it just shuts the mic off. The other one is talk back, which goes to the truck. And sometimes this is the one thing I learned early on is that if I did want to cuss, fart, burp, you know, it took me a while. I burped on air one time, but it took me a while to understand what that, that button would do and why I would use it. So if something happened in the game and it, and it made me upset or I couldn't believe it, or if it was even a great play where I go, holy shit, you see that? You know, I, I would say something like that under my breath. But uh, I, the thing that I had to learn was in talkback. I've developed a very good relationship with our producer and our producer travels with us on the road or in the studio like we're doing now. But I, he is the one guy that I can talk to other than TK during the game without anybody knowing it. I thought. Sometimes that mic gets broadcast into the entire truck. So that's where, you know, I, I had a, a director, Paul Bykowski, and uh, our producer, uh, Carl Patterson, who both said, hey, when you're talking in the talkback, just know that some places we go, it's going to be in the entire truck. Just watch what you're saying. And, you know, it's funny you talk about them, you know, you're, it's almost like your true colors come out on a hot mic because your guard is let down because the assumption of the mic not being on uh, let you expose who you are. Now, I don't know if somebody instigated Brenneman into saying this or maybe said something about a city that he doesn't like and he said what he said. Yep. So it could have been a reaction to something. But at the same time, it is, it's part of it is the, the true sense of, of his morality or whatever, it, you know, his, his true meaning. I, I would agree with you. So, it, you know, it is, maybe he got set up, maybe he didn't, but he still reacted the way he did yep. for him. My problem is, my problem I have found out is that I cuss frequently at baseball games in the, in the talk back, but usually the thing that I get burnt for on the hot mic is usually saying something about a player. <laughs> and that's yeah. where I've had to learn yeah. where I'm like, I can't believe that guy's throwing, you know, three, two fastballs down the middle. What an idiot. No wonder he's getting his ass kicked, you know? And yeah. then the producer's like, you know, yeah. the, the mic was on, we may have heard, and I'm like, okay, sorry. So I try and curb that, but more often than not, I'm usually ragging on a player or just saying something stupid. 
And, and you know what though, but that's candid to be honest with you. I mean, people want to hear some of that stuff and maybe that's why if you're genuine to who you are, true self, then that can come through. And maybe I'm just speaking like a ball player. I would tell you that, you know, when you get in a locker room, when you're 18 years old and you don't get out till you're 32, that, you know, those, those, you know, 14 to 16 years that you spent in the locker room, regardless of whether it's professional or semi-professional or, you know, just a group of guys down from the YMCA, if that's where you learn how to communicate and your language and all that stuff, you know, I I would say that I probably swear, uh, probably uh, a, a little more often than most of my peers and probably a little um, more carefree because I feel comfortable doing it. And in that environment. Yeah. You feel comfortable in that environment. I'm totally with you. Yeah, even at my gym, right. You know, where you look around and it's like, there's a couple of women there and there's a couple of guys there. And you know, you just add some emphasis because this is like the clubhouse that you grew up in. So mm-hmm. I, I have no problem with that. And a true reaction. I've said this before on air and, you know, Ryan Sandberg, you know, I'll give him my address if he wants, but I know a guy, one of my pitching coaches in, uh, in double a or a ball was like, Oh, Ryan Sandberg that year he had like no errors or whatever. He's like, that guy gave up so many friggin' hits. Like he couldn't move two feet to his left and he couldn't move two feet to his right because if he touched it, you know, he wanted to make sure it was, you know, he had gator arms. It was like, right it was here. either hit. Yeah. Oh, I missed it. It was either right at him or it was a hit. And so I was like, yeah, he went 400 second base, 400 chances without an error. It's like, yeah, great. You know, he can't cover this 600 chances. That's right. Now they have that stat, right? Where you yeah, the range or the zone range or whatever it is. Yeah. So anyway, so I could imagine being on air as a pitcher watching a, you know, second baseman who can't take, you know, two steps to his left and miss a ball. You're like, all right, great. Like, and so dropping an F-bomb in a situation like that, being a former pitcher, or how about being a former position player going, I could have made that play. I can make that play now when I'm 45. It's like, it just, it just, um, that's truth. And that is, I think, expected. And so being on a hot mic saying that, but as you already touched on, and, and, and I did as well, the, the moral compass piece is like, you know what, I can be baited when I'm driving my car to yell at somebody. We've, we've been on here doing Weddle Tuttleslay and Blum's Blast, where it's like, hey, you're wearing ear pods or AirPods. It's like, <laughs> there are things that people don't have emotional intelligence about. And there are things that people have that, like the shopping carts or whatever it is. Yeah. But that's not, you know, I might grumble at you, I might swear at you, but that does not have a deeper sense of animosity or strife or it's actually um, a good point yeah or or hatred for lack of a better word yeah, against a whole moment. group of people <laughs> you know yeah. i like to say i'm i'm an equal opportunist man there are idiots of all colors and races <laughs> you know and they're really smart people of all colors and races and i tend not to drift towards the idi- idiocy you know I, yeah. I, it would never be a personal attack on you know who you are uh based on your culture and your appearance, it would be a personal attack on the fact that you're not respecting my space and you're not treating me well. And I think mm-hmm. that, that 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 should come through in these podcasts and that should come through in my reactions. And so I, I, to your baiting point, I don't think you could ever bait me to say something similar to what he yeah. said. And I, I'm assuming the same for you. Like TK could not bait you into saying something that's absolutely ridiculous because it's not, you know, it's not part of who you are. No, the only thing I try and, you know, we don't bait each other. That's, that's a good point that you don't try and set people up for that, that got them moment. But uh, the, uh, truth be told, just, it's just in talking about broadcasting and like, actually, you know, the only time I do bait TK is when I'm trying to get him to break. I, there are moments in some of these games where they get so out of hand that I, I, the only entertainment I have for myself <laughs> is to try and get TK to break. 
and get break character, break down and laugh or make him push his cough button. So he has to giggle a little bit. And I had the, I had the opportunity. I almost got him. I went Beavis and butthead on him the other day uh-huh. because uh, we, we, we brought this guy in called chase D young and he was wearing a number for the first time in franchise history. And it was number 69 and I, and I like turned 12 all of a sudden and I'm on air and I went, TK, we're making history tonight, man. I go, Chase D. Young is making Astros history. And he kind of perks up and is like, no way, really? What, what do you got He's there? He's in character hoping you got some nugget for him. Like, here comes the nugget. And I'm like, He's wearing number 69, dude. He's just like, he kind of gives me this like dad look like. Something serious right now. <laughs> and he got a little giggle out of it, but it was pretty funny. Nice. You know what's funny about that is that always reminds me of um, Billy Madison because that's my favorite is he's going through the <laughs> grades and you, you realize that he's in second grade or third grade and the teacher says like, please uh, pull out your book that's Miss Fanny's Nursery Rhymes and all the kids are like, hey, Miss Fanny. And then she's like, open to page 69 and Adam Sandler's like, yeah, 69. Like, so again, it just... Then it hits on different, uh, it, it hits everybody differently. The 69 part is hilarious. And that's always been, you know, we talk about idiot. the locker room again. But yeah. I also think, I think that's a fun way to do it, right? Baiting him into laughing or breaking character. I, I know I've said this on the last podcast, or no, I said it off air because I wanted more publicity for the podcast, but he was trying to bait you into talking about your podcast and you wouldn't do it. Yeah. He's like, Oh, <laughs> Blummer, these guys have a podcast. What about you? You have a little podcast going, don't you? And he's, you're like, Oh yeah, these guys do a UFC pot. You just, you just flipped it. Yeah, so like- I mean, but again, friendly banter. Um, you guys spent a lot of time together. You know, I, I tuned in one night a little bit late and it was already like 11 to two. And you were like, Oh brother, like, you no know, more. you're, it's like a time killer that's completely different than what we're talking about. And again, similar to the original issue, we do not need to get into, you know, the kind of person he is or what he was doing. I just think when you, when you are on air as often as you guys are and they are, and you're a professional, um, you know, maybe it's just, uh, maybe it's just who he is. And, and, you know, I I don't know, we can give him the chance to redeem himself, right? He totally redeemed himself. So but, yeah, um, I don't, in this day and age, I'm not sure that's going to be possible. And at yeah. the point he is in his career too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe they're looking for a change over there, but uh, speaking of change, you get older. And when golfers get older, you move to the champions tour, which used to be the senior PGA, but they, that was, that was derogatory to seniors. So <laughs> we, we now have the champions tour. I mean, we are just picking uh, this is yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Let's pick it all apart. Can yeah, call let's just tear tour? every no. scab off. Yeah. We're gonna go back to the disabled list. It's you know, okay. So the the Champions Tour is 50 and over golfers. It's it's another chance to extend their career, make some money, and be out there in the public eye and dazzle us with their amazing ability to put the put the wee little golf ball in the wee little hole that you know four or five hundred yards away. But the interesting thing about the 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 champions tour is, is it, you know, guys of our generation are now maturing and Phil Nicholson is one of them. And we know for a fact that he can still play on the PGA tour because he can bomb away and keep up with 7,500 yard courses. And now he moved, he played in his first champions tour. And I don't know if you caught any of this Tuttle, but it was an absolutely obliteration of a golf course. I think he ended up 22 or 23 under up in the Ozarks. But the interesting thing about the PGA is, like I said, 7,500 yards. And then you go to the Champions Tour and they might knock it down to 6,800, 7,000. 
think about that. You're almost taking two holes away from, or giving Phil Mickelson a two-hole advantage. So the funny thing that I thought was is that there were a couple of highlights where he's driving par fours consistently. Consistently. <laughs> it wasn't like the one-off. Like. It wasn't the random 330-yard hole that you see in the PGA Tour where everybody's going for it. There was one guy going for it. It was Phil Mickelson, and he just absolutely annihilating these things. And, you know, he's hitting bombs against these guys. Uh, you get these free and easy swingers, you know, at uh, 55 years old, just, you know, shooting it down the middle putting up good scores. And I happened to catch uh, the eight, the 18th hole as he goes in for the win. And, you know, the guy he's in second place, you know, a couple strokes behind playing great golf. It's nothing against the, how they're playing golf, but just kind of, you know, Oh, look at Sonny hit one down the left side. It's, you know, out there a good 250, 60 yards. <laughs> Phil Mickelson is like, hold my beer. He gets up there, dude. And he goes, wham. He hits this thing like we, we've seen before, that just massive power draw, and it, it landed about 50 yards past where the ball stopped for the other guy and then flew another 50 yards. So it was kind of funny to see him go 100 yards past. But what, what was the score difference coming in, like the second-place guy? It was like no 20, uh, 22 under to 20 under. Oh, so 20 under. I mean, yeah. for a guy no, who's the guy was scoring. I mean, but you think about having to play in that group. You, I mean, you talk about having to have blinders and go, what's, what was that thunderous sound I just heard? Oh, it's, it's my – the guy I'm playing against, bombing it down the fairway. But that brings up the question. So an interesting stat, 20th rookie to debut to win their debut on the Champions Tour. So Phil Mickelson was the 20th rookie to win their debut tournament in the Champions Tour. Thought that was really interesting. 20 guys, it seems excessive. But uh, um, should they change the age from 50 to like 55 for these guys? I mean, with the way they're hitting the ball? Well, of course, but I, I think what's funnier about that is calling him rookies or whatever they are. I mean, this isn't like this isn't like Colin Morikawa winning the uh, you know the the PGA last like two weeks ago. He's twenty three. Yeah. yeah, he went to Cal. He's a young guy. He's nervous, but he's played the course. Like we talked about all those dynamics. These are guys that like. I mean, Phil Mickelson's got like what forty wins on the PGA Tour, yeah, dude. and he rolls into the Champions Tour as a rookie. Like the, you know what do you got? Lee Trevino, Sam Snead, Phil Mickelson. Like these guys that roll in there are fine, but you know, senior or not, I mean, I, I'm 50. The Champions Tour at 50, when you're playing against 64-year-olds, I mean, there's a, there's a slight difference in terms of body mechanics. I, I think I joked with you earlier. I mean, you know, if you can't take your pension until you're 62 and a half, right? And maybe, maybe that's why they changed the name uh, from seniors to champions because, like, you still can't take your pension until a certain age. <laughs> they should probably make the age on the Champions Tour something – um, more commiserate, commiserate with, uh, you know, or in line with the fact that, uh, that, you know, Hey, now you're 62 and a half, you're getting into the, you know, the twilight of your golfing career, yeah, but you I mean, for an IRA now you can play on the tour. Yeah. But you know, again, I think this just hit me, but follow the dollars, right? Like, let's see, should we just have this yes. little champions tour where, you know, like this old dude and this old guy, you know, Greg Norman's not coming out. Like they have all these guys that you kind of knew, you know, they were the fringe mm -hmm. guys on the tour, you know, or do we want to have Phil Mickelson come out and like, actually, woo, let's is, is watch not, the tournament. He is, I mean, sorry to go cocoon on you right here, but isn't he rejuvenating for the champions tour? I mean, think about the, you just nailed it. Think about the attention this yeah. guy is going to bring to that tour now. Yeah. And they, and that's exactly what the advertisers and the, you know, the, the television folks, and that's all they're thinking about. But I mean, 
if it's going to be that lopsided of a competition, and maybe the guy who came in second and lost by three strokes doesn't think it's that lopsided. I don't know. I mean, we all want to challenge ourselves. We all want a level of competition. But, you know, as you pointed out, I, I saw some highlights of that. I mean, give me a break, right? Like, you know, they move the tees oh in. And yeah, they move gets, the tees up. I'm going to play from the up. I'm going to play from the red tees today. OK, great. But does I'm it, gonna, yeah, that's what I mean. Imagine, could you imagine showing up to a tournament and seeing this dude roll in and go, oh, hey, Phil, nice to meet you. Yeah. You're not going to hit from back there? You're going to hit from right here? <laughs> Or how about if we, you and I played, and instead of playing from whatever the blacks, yeah, we got to drive up to his. Yeah, let's just box. move up to the ladies' tees and be like, "All right, I'm going to play from the reds today." No, no, you <laughs> stay back there. I'm going to play from the reds. Like, I mean, you know, that's what it would that, be like. Yeah, yeah, that would improve our score significantly. I mean, you know, I don't have to go driver on this whole. Great, I'm going to hit a little seven seven iron up there, and yeah. you know, two putt, and I'm good to go. Dude, that would be golden. Cool. Yeah, it does well, seem I, like they should make some adjustments there, but again, dollars. Yeah. Well, but it's money, but at the same time, you know, we talked about moving the, the, the date back and you hit on it in your first comment is the shape these guys are in. I yeah. mean, these guys have resources, money, diets, chefs, workout facilities. I mean, these guys, I mean, we're for, what they say the you know, 40 is the new 30 and now 50 is the new 40. Yeah. I feel like we just keep pushing those ages back further and further with diet. And then all of a sudden, I mean, this is a whole nother, I mean, I know fans probably get bored with it, but it, it, this would be a whole nother podcast is what about the equipment? My mm -hmm. gosh, if you get the right head and shaft and you get the right golf ball, all of a sudden you, you might be able to compete with those guys that hit it that yeah. far. Well, I think this is going to make it a, a much simpler point, and it was fun to watch, but the much simpler point is Phil Mickelson will still win some, some tournaments on the PGA Tour. Yep. He is still that good of a golfer, top 10, top 20 in the world. He will still win events on the PGA Tour. So what do you expect him to do on the champions tour besides drive it's revenue and all that? Down. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's going to, every champions uh, event that he enters, he has a shot at winning for sure. Yeah. And they, Oh, by the way, carts. No. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> no fatigue, like gets out of the cart, like here, like you said, hold my beer, buddy. Like, is there a drink Man. holder in this thing? Let's uh, yeah, exactly, I'm gonna put my water dude. over here. A I'm gonna banana. charge my phone. I got a yeah. beer. Hey, start. Hey, throw in some Led Zeppelin. Let's. Yeah, play. can we get a Bluetooth speaker? I'm gonna put the like we do when we golf. Let's put the Bluetooth over here. All right. What? How far is this one? Yeah. 380. Okay. What's the GPS yeah. say? All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna go seven out here, buddy. Hilarious. Hilarious. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's yeah. great. And what a. I mean, and I love that you brought it up. Maybe I haven't been watching sport news, or you know, we're just so caught up in pandemic and wildfires and hurricanes, but. You know, you love how ESPN didn't even say Phil Mickelson won the uh, Champions Tour this <laughs> weekend. True. Like, there was just no coverage of it whatsoever. <laughs> so oh, it was hilarious. Yeah, that's why you come to Bleacher Blums. That's right. We will give you some of that hard-hitting golf news. <laughs> that and watching Corey copy, make copies. So that's yeah. both hey, those. Make, so. That's what I immediately went to the SNL. Hey, Steve-O, making copies. Making Steve copies. Yeah, this is our demographic. Young guys are like, what are you talking about? Yeah, Steve-O, making copies. Them. The copinator. Oh, yes. So the other reason you show up to Bleacher Blums is for this right here, what'll Tuttle say? What'll Tuttle say? All right, two weeks in a row, we're going to use Few Good Men. I think I used Few Good Men last time for, um, you know. Yeah, how do you the, know uh, where to go to go to have chow? That's right. How do you know where to go to uh, the chow? Oh, I just follow the, follow the crowd at chow time. Uh, I got to, uh, went down a rabbit hole this weekend. Maybe it's because I thought Few Good Men such a fantastic movie, and I was using it as a reference last time uh, with the unwritten rules of baseball. But um, I found Kevin Pollock, who was, 
you, Lieutenant Weinberg, like Weinberg, <laughs> and then Tom Cruise, Demi Moore. But um, Rich Eisen had on his show in collective order uh, back during the Super Bowl this year. So a little retroactively had on Rob Reiner. And then he had on Kevin Bacon. Six degrees oh, wow. of Kevin Bacon, baby. Yeah, he's and then he had on Kevin Pollack. And he asked them all kind of the same question. And so I'm just going to give you a little overview and then I'll give you a funny little anecdote. And then I'd love to hear your thoughts. But Bring of course, um, Rich Eisen said, you know, a few good men. And there are only a few movies like this. I don't, we don't do channel surfing anymore, right? You get on Netflix or you're going to, but he's like, a few good men is a, a mic uh, remote drop. It's basically Ooh, like, I like it. Ooh, Sunday, you had a few beers Saturday night, you get up at 11, you go in and you turn and you're like, oh, they're uh they're they're flying to Cuba, okay, and then you you drop the remote and you just watch it from that point. There's like 90 minutes left or whatever. It's like, all right, so that one always happens. But um, Rob Reiner and Kevin Bacon were talking about um, Jack Nicholson on the set, and then Kevin Pollock, who does actually, um, he does impressions. That's his stand-up act. So aside from being usual oh, suspects wow. and being kind of a character actor, um, he's done a few good things. Um, a few good things. Haha. <laughs> So um, Rob Reiner and Kevin Bacon both hit on this fact. And I think Rob Reiner didn't mention um, the amount of money, but uh, Rob Reiner got Jack Nicholson to come in for, let's see, 10 days of work to do this. Oh, wow. uh, and, and, and most guys didn't have a lot of interaction with him. He had the big courtroom scene and a couple other scenes. Um, and Rob Reiner and Kevin Bacon, and I'll jump to Kevin Bacon. So Rob Reiner said, look, I got him for 10 days. This is what I expected. And that guy's been, you know, since Chinatown to The Shining, like he's a, you know, five decades, he's just wowed everybody. Um, Kevin Bacon said he showed up like the first day and he had a couple scenes with Jack Nicholson. And Kevin Bacon, starting with Animal House, has been in, you know, that's how there's six degrees of Kevin Bacon. He's been in every movie under the sun, Footloose. I mean, we mm -hmm. could go through his resume, get on IMDb if you want to check that out. He basically said one scene with Jack Nicholson and, you know, he's a professional character actor, Kevin Bacon. He goes, oh, oh, so that's the kind of acting we're doing on this movie. Like, I got it. Like, that's how we're acting. <laughs> set the so tone a little bit. He like, set oh. the tone and it's like, oh, shit. Like, th that's what we're expecting. Yeah, all to of do. a sudden you're not slouching in your chair. Like, okay, That's yeah. right. And I'm assuming in baseball or, you know, at a high level, I've done this. I played, you know, I, I remember when I got drafted by the Reds and, went to um, instructional league or spring training for the first time. Um, this guy, this younger guy had played um, a level below like short season a and Manny Ramirez had got drafted that same year, like uh, 90, 91, something like that as an 18 year old out of high school in New York city. And he was 18 playing in this like rookie ball and he was hitting balls like out of it. And they were like, Oh, like, you know, you play oh. with these guys, you play with Vladimir Guerrero, like, yes. Oh, so that's the, Oh, that's the level that some of these guys play at. So anyway, Kevin Bacon <laughs> realized like, yeah, he's a big leaguer, but this dude is a superstar. So to jump now forward with Kevin Pollock, who does impressions and he's hilarious. Um, first of all, one of his anecdotes that I really liked was he um, had been doing this little like summer series that nobody would watch because they had reruns back then. And he was on TV and Rob Reiner was directing it. And Rob Reiner says, um, says, hey, you know, I put this part up for a guy named Jason Alexander, but if Jason Alexander gets Seinfeld, which had only been like a pilot plus like six episodes, if he gets that, then he's going to have this part. But I think if, you know, if Seinfeld gets picked up, this would be a really good part for you. And so, you know, wow. Ke Kevin Pollock's telling the story like, oh God, come on, Seinfeld, get picked up, you yeah. know, and that went on to do whatever. So how that's how Kevin, that? I know. 
that's how Kevin Pollock got that role. And now when you think about it, couldn't you picture Jason Alexander in that role too? Yeah. Like Lieutenant Weinberg, you could totally see that. <laughs> so so let me let me finish up here, which Kevin Pollock finished up on The Money, which was kind of funny. There's a whole bunch. You can get on the Rich Eisen show and look at these little clips that I watched. I, like I said, I went down a rabbit hole. I enjoyed myself. Kevin Pollock said that um, basically uh, Jack Nicholson got paid uh, 5 million bucks for 10 days of work. So that was what he said. He got 5 million bucks. And his question to Jack Nicholson was like, all right, Jack. So when you're getting paid 500 grand a day, right? 10 days of work. Do you like, do you hit the snooze or do you friggin' jump out of bed and get in the shower and get to work? Like what, what's your experience there? Like, okay, 500 grand today, shower off. I'm going to the set. Yeah. Or do you like, I'm going to hit the snooze alarm over here. Yeah. I'll, I'll get out of bed when I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. So Anyway, just a, a bunch of really good uh, stories about A Few Good Men, one of the kind of all-time great movies. And, um, and I just thought I'd share that. It was, it was really interesting to hear some of the insight. And I think to put a bow on it and then ask you your thoughts is like when you are playing with a guy like Vladimir Guerrero and you know, even Paul Canerco and these guys that were really at some points out of their trees, like doing things that as professional athletes, which both of you, uh, you know, we were uh, – um, you know, there are still guys that take it to another level. These go oh. to 11, like Spinal Tap, right? Why don't you yeah. make that louder and make that 10? These yep. go to 11. Those guys could take it to 11. Maybe give me your thoughts on uh, A Few Good Men. And then, you know, tell me like some of those guys that you thought were like, oh, like Jack Nicholson. That's what we're doing here. Well, first of all, I feel like I love the backstories. I, I absolutely, you know, was it, VH, was it VH1 that did Behind the Music or whatever it was, some of those. And then you hear stories like this where, you know, five days, $5 million, and all of a sudden he's making everybody sit on the edge of their seat because they're like, this is real. We got to, this guy's, this guy's badass. We need to match this. Yeah. And you want, you know, it makes you step up your game. I mean, I think that's more what it is. It's like these, these, these superstars or these people have the ability to, you know, Mike, Michael Jordan in the last dance, they have the ability to make other people rise to their level or get as close as they can. But I feel like the backstories are going away, man. I don't know what it is, but I love the backstories. I love hearing, you know, if, if, if Costanza doesn't become Costanza, he's all of a sudden Jerry, you know, he's a, uh, I almost said Jerry Maguire, but he's uh, oh, Tom Cruise's Weinberg, sidekick. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Lieutenant you know what I mean? He's, you know, something happened. So I love those stories about that, but yeah, Vladimir Guerrero at a young, at a young age, you know, uh, I had come from a, you know, I played uh, pac 10 baseball. I thought, you know, I was like the bees knees. I was like, Hey man, I, I played the pack back 12. And uh, I go to a ball. And it was the bees knees, by the way. I mean, yeah. it was good college baseball. There's no doubt about it. Everybody's like, oh, this is just similar to double A ball. And then I get to double A and that's the first time I meet Vladimir Guerrero. And it sounds like cannon fire when he hits the baseball. I went, that guy's got it. <laughs> you know, and you're yeah. like, how do I emulate that? Because he was just so pure and so raw. Um, but there was another moment where I was kind of stunned by the stage and stunned by the historic fact of something and uh i think it was home run number 715 for barry bonds i was on the field for it and i was playing second base and we were in a little bit of a glorified shift so i was kind of playing shallow right field and he comes up against clay hensley and we're what happened oh no Go, no, you're no, playing this, second base. <laughs> yeah, no, but listen to this. He went opposite field, but, it, oh, but it's okay. exactly what you just reenacted because I, I kind of got there and you're looking at the scoreboard and they're like, 
you know, Barry Bonds is at 714 home runs. And you're like, dude, the next home run this guy hits is going to tie Babe freaking Ruth. And you're kind of look back at the plate and then you look down and you're like, I'm on the field. I'm going to watch this. And all of a sudden he goes, Woo! smokes one to left field. And I did what you did. I stood there and I went like in amazement. I was like, dude, I just witnessed freaking history. And that's when it kind of like, you know, like you said, where you all of a sudden you have this like aha moment, like, okay, that is one of the greatest hitters I'm ever going to see in my life. And that's what, yeah. you know, that was one moment that really kind of, kind of got me. Yeah. And, and the fact that he was a peer of yours, I mean, essentially, I mean, I know yeah. we all have Barry Bond stories. I know a couple of guys that played with him, mm-hmm. um, you know, a former Cal bear that, you know, probably fairly well, Jeff Kent played with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, there essentially... have different stories about him too. That's yeah, yeah, crazy, no, but... that's true. But you know, essentially it's a peer of yours, but even within that peer group, right. They talk about major, you know, professional athletes or major league baseball players being the tip of the spear, right. This is like the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And even within that group, there's still like people that just, you know, I mean, even the yeah, fact absolutely. that it's like, you know, Barry Bonds may hit his 715th tonight and it's like a second at bat, like boom, 715. It's like, whoa, he did it tonight. Like, yeah. you know, like, dude, people just, yeah, just people have that ability. And, uh, and I think it's really a nice reminder that even though within that community, we, um, we admire and we emulate and we look to that, there's still these people that um, bring awe amongst even the folks that are in that peer group. And I think it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I appreciate you sharing that story, but I'm sure you have, I mean, we have teammates, we have, I mean, I can go through a list oh, yeah. of that, but it's, there's those, there's, there are those events where you just go, wow. It's, yeah. I had uh, actually, uh, it might've been 2008 or nine with the Astros. I actually in one season got to see Lance Berkman get to 300 home runs and Pudge, Pudge Rodriguez. And those are, when you start to see guys get milestones, then it kind of puts things in perspective on how good and how good they were for how long. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think, like you said, then that puts him in that, you know, maybe that different category and, and you make fun of yourself all the time. Like you wish you were a better hitter, but I think, you know, everybody has their niche and yeah, if you hit 400, you know, every year, then you would have been an everyday player maybe, but you know, at some point you also got, you know, put in this niche role, like, Hey, we want yeah. this guy to do this. He can play second, short, third, maybe we'll put him at first on occasion. He's a switch hitter. And you know, th- that was a nice place for you to be, but you know, maybe within that group, you could have even been better if somebody said, Hey, you know, you're going to be our everyday shortstop. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, some of it's under our control or in our control and some of it's not. And so, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to point out that like, even within, um, you know, these highly respected and highly uh, professional uh, atmospheres, environments, there are still people that, you know, can bring some joy and some awe. But yeah. um, let me hear what you have for Blum's Blasts. I know you got something. I do. And it's something that's been kind of wearing on me after calling some of these games. So here in Blum's Blast, I'm going to get a little bit, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to bash baseball. Do it. Red ass, baby. Uh, yep. Uh, it's usually, it seems how it goes. Uh, Tuttle has always got the fun and energetic and I bring just the pile of dung. Eh, but, I'll, uh, pro- I'll provide a little silver lining when you're done, I guess. I mean, okay, that's my job do, here. I'll, because, pick up the, I'll pick up the pieces, Blummer. Yeah, please. Cause I'm, I'm coming through like a wrecking ball. No. Uh, <laughs> Sing it. No. So uh, we, we've been calling baseball games. We're halfway through the season, 30 games. And uh, we've seen, I've seen good baseball, but I've also seen a lot of bad baseball. And there was actually, this actually coincides and what kind of sparked Blum's Blasts is an article in the Wall Street Journal written by Jared Diamond, who is a great follow on Twitter because uh, I like his writing. I like his perspective, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just a unique outlook on baseball. 
And it was something to dig into. And it said that baseball is taking longer than ever to play this year. And I am in 100% agreement. Uh, this 2020 here on this podcast, Tuttle and I talked about some of the moves and some of the rules that they've made to baseball. How can they speed up the game? And they haven't worked. And I hope this experiment is over with whatever reason the three, you know, there's so many things that just are wrong with baseball, but 2020 has just given us a bad brand of baseball and it's boring. It's ugly. I haven't enjoyed some games. I'm trying to have as much fun as I can on these broadcasts, but man, and I'm going to tell you why I think it is. I, you know, I'm, I, this is my own opinion. The 28 man roster offers you September rosters for the whole season. So all of a sudden you've got more pitching, which means more pitching changes. And you know what? This three-hitter uh, minimum for pitchers, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think it's, it's bad. I think it actually makes the game a little bit longer because guess what? These guys come in, they face the guy they're supposed to face. Whether they fail or succeed, they've got to face two more. And it feels like it's just a laborious effort for these guys to get through those next two hitters. And then all of a sudden, guess what? we have another pitching change. So all you're doing is delaying the inevitable and you're having to watch a guy fight through three more hitters. So I think that rule is, is done. It's over. Um, I like the DH. Um, the quality of player is down and I hate to be this guy, but I am particular like Tuttle just said, the, the, the tip of the spear of baseball is your best. There's a reason these guys are on TV because they're the elite and you want to see the elite compete. But guess what? Opt-outs, injuries, expanded rosters, and incredibly tough scheduling and COVID have created a situation where there are guys in the big leagues who should not be here and not at this moment. Maybe someday, but not at this moment. And we're seeing A ball, we're seeing double A, we're seeing guys that got drafted in 2020 here. Yes, I enjoy the excitement of having those guys get called up and have the opportunity to be in the big leagues. But at the same time, overtime, baseball is one thing where I think guys get exposed and we're getting exposed a little bit to it, to it now, now that we're halfway through the season, to where pitching is well ahead of hitting because we're facing a different guy every single inning, it feels like. There's all-star hitters who are not hitting. And then you're seeing pitching staffs come out here with random guys that you've never seen before. But uh, there is a distinct, there's a disparity between the good players and the bad players. But it's interesting to bring that up because the, if you go through and you see guys like uh, Christian Yelich, Jose Altuve, George Springer, some of these superstar guys, they're not having the years that they're normally having. And I don't know what it's from because it's league wide. Uh, Pete Alonso is another guy that comes to mind for the New York Mets. Who's not really having that Pete Alonso type year that we saw last year in his rookie of the year. Superstars aren't even performing. And that in combination with young players who are trying to figure themselves out at this level has made for just an absolute, a, a, a tough game to watch for me. Sorry. You were going to use the big A word abomination, yeah. baby. Yeah, I, I know I where almost you're going did. So here's, here's two things for that. And I, I actually agree with you. I mean, mm -hmm. look, I had to resign. I mean, I played almost 10 years of professional baseball and I have no pension and no big league time to show for it. Right. A couple of major league camps. And it's like, look, I realized how hard it was. Do I, did I, when I was playing, consider myself one of those guys? Absolutely. But that was still tip of the spear at that point, but I was a professional athlete working my way up there and I didn't make it. And I've joked with you on this podcast, like, Hey, this might've been the year that I could have yeah. made it. And if you take that now with, you know, an unbiased resource or looking at it with, you know, with, you know, no bitterness, 
Look, when they have expansions every year, the expansion draft, I was part of the Diamondbacks a couple of years after the expansion draft, and that was a great opportunity for me. Uh, why? Because it expanded the amount of teams there were, Increased which actually expanded amount of the yeah. players, right? And so <laughs> we're seeing that in tenfold now because guys yeah. like Verlander out. So you have these injuries, you have the opt-outs, which you already mentioned, all that stuff pushes away. So now the rosters are expanded. So everybody gets three more guys, right? So mm -hmm. multiply that by 30 or 32. And now, you know, that's an extra, you know, with injuries. I mean, you're looking at an extra 100 to 150 guys in Major League Baseball that weren't really going to be there this year. I will now tip the cap to somebody like Belak, who I was saying this guy was dominating, and now he's had two rough starts. Mm -hmm. That guy's young. You can tell. Should he have been in the big leagues this year? Uh, maybe not. Maybe maybe he was in the future plans. Guess what? Let's hope his his confidence and his, you know, the, the ability for Brent Strom to work with him. Let's hope it doesn't get shot. That guy is probably going to be a big league pitcher. But even Someday. a guy like that who had success for his first three to four starts, like here's the rough patch, buddy. Like you're yeah. going to have to, you know, have to deal with that. And, you know, just hope it doesn't, it doesn't uh, stifle them or veer <laughs> them off course. So um, oh, that's go ahead. a great point. Okay. And I, and I was going to just say the, the, uh, the time, so I just written down some notes, but I think that the, um, the pitching change, I mean, that, that's a mindset change. And we talked about this before. So go back, we're on podcast 84, 85, go back 20, 30, 40 podcasts. And mm -hmm. we talked about that rule because last year it was something they were proposing. Mm -hmm. That three batter minimum rule, not only changes the speed of the game, because you said it's an in inevitable uh, change anyway, but look, these guys that have been managing, Dusty Baker's 70, you know, over 70, 76 or whatever he is. Mm -hmm. um, Dusty Baker's older. This is what part of his strategy has been because he's managed throughout baseball the whole time. A left-handed specialist, guess what? I've never had to come in and face lefty two righties and I'm going to be careful with them and nibble. And now I walk a guy and then I give up a hit and now they're going to take me out anyway. Like if this, is a, this is more than a time save or a time suck. This is a whole strategic change um that they, you're absolutely right yeah that, that that has nothing to it's like a rule change it's almost as significant as something like the dh that you're talking about which i happen to like as well because mm -hmm. as a pitcher i would either bunt the guy over or i you know get pinch hit for or i'd stand up there and strike out like i mean mm -hmm. those were my those were my 99 percent of the time three options right it's like hey bunt the guy over you know, stand yeah. there and look at a guy. You're not the 100. only one. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so the mindset change and the dilution you already brought up, I think are definitely um, making the games longer. That's the other thing that makes the game longer. If you have a pitcher in there and it's a 10 to two game and it's the seventh inning, if he's getting shellac, guess what's happening? Take one for the team, buddy. You're going to stay on out there. So exactly. That and extends the game as well. They, yeah. The, there's not enough bodies out there. Yep. Um, the, the point you bring up about Belak, and he's a good example of it, is that, you know, maybe throughout the course of an another season, maybe you do see a Brandon Belak. Maybe he gets called up to be that fifth starter and fill in a little bit. Um, shoot, there's another thing. The trade deadline's coming up. Is anybody going to trade for anybody? Who knows? But, you know, during the course of a regular season, if you're missing that five starter and Belak is the guy that goes out there for two starts and does great, and then we see the outing he had against San Diego where he gets lit up a little bit, you can kind of go, okay, okay, so he did really good twice. He did bad once. Let's, let's ship him out. Let's make a trade. Uh, he got his feet wet. There's no protection for these guys. Yeah. So some of these guys are getting exposed and maybe overwhelmed because to Tuttle's point about having these guys face adversity, they're facing it in the big leagues. 
There's no, there's no uh, way to protect these guys. You're going to be constantly assaulted and picked at until you make the adjustment or get better. And if you don't, then you're going to get run over. And that's where you got to protect some of these younger guys a little bit because you don't want to have them wash out because of a couple of bad outings. You want to send them back to AAA. You want to get their, get their uh, in, you know, momentum back, get their confidence back. But now, you know, now they're in a position where do we throw Belak out there again and, and, and risk him getting shelled for three, three starts in a row, even though it was unfair. He came back after two days. I mean, that's not fair for anybody, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, it, it's kind of interesting in that sense that so you can't protect these guys. That that's another thing that is involved here. And I, I don't, I, you just brought up another point that I thought you, well, the other point about the superstars. And I think, you know, this happens too, is, you know, I had guys that owned me and then I had guys I owned and it sometimes mm-hmm. didn't have to do with where they sat in the order or the hierarchy, like some good players you owned and some guys that, you know, you didn't think were as, uh, as tough, you know, on everybody else, the 200 hitters, it's like, you know, they own you, like they, they hit, they get a hit off you every time. Um, when you look at the superstars and you talk about the dilution of the pool, you have scouting reports, you kind of know what guys throw. I watched uh, the Altuve and Springer face that guy from Seattle that was thrown like 95 where his oh knee my touched gosh, the background. Wicked it was like a rise ball and then a slider yeah. move. It's like, they'll hit that guy, but you were out, you're talking about having a down year. It's like, look, if you are one for two and then you face that guy and then you face another guy you've never seen, now you're one for four. Whereas in the old days, it's like, all right, I know this closer. I know what he's going to challenge me with. It doesn't mean it's easier to hit. It just means like, look, I've got some experience with these guys. And we all know that, you know, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. It's like, if you have to keep (laughs) facing this expanded roster guy, oh yeah, they're bringing in Joe Schmo. We never saw that guy. He's throwing 94 with a slider I've never seen. The guy that we talked about, I texted you the other night, looked like um, Josh Hader light. That guy was wicked too. Like, who is this guy? Lefty for San Diego? I'm like, that guy's going to be successful. But, you know, if you're facing these guys in the first 30 games of the shortened season, you're not going to see the superstars have as good a season, even though they're the best players and the cream of the crop. Because, I mean, how do you hit a guy you've never seen before, right? I mean, you yeah. do need some and knowledge. They limit video deep- now inside the dugout with the iPads. I mean, they've cut back on so many things that it makes it that much harder. And I know it sounds like excuses because yeah. back, back in the day, they didn't yeah. have whatever. Yeah. You know, you're, but it is tough to face a new guy every at bat, man. Yep, it is. And and that's why you're going to see the numbers are down, the Kristen Yelich, whatever. And, you know, uh, the naysayers will say, well, you don't have the trash cans. You don't have the iPads. You don't, no, no, no. All of this has to do with, as you said, let's keep our bubble of 30 teams and these are the big leaguers and these are the best they have. Like, look, Blake Trinan's having success, right? Uh, the mm-hmm. got the closer for San Francisco is not. But Blake Trinan, you know, he's going to throw 97 with a split. Like, all right, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to look at those two pitches. And, you know, sometimes I get the best of them, sometimes I don't. You bring in this guy from San Diego. I don't remember the guy's name, Josh Hader Light. And mm-hmm. he's throwing pitches from out of this batter's box that you've never seen before from the left side. You don't know if he has two pitches, three pitches. I mean, you just yeah. don't know it. And then you don't know what it looks like. So you need at least some sort of resume or some sort of 10, 10 at bat kind of trial against a guy. Yeah. And you know that. Like, I knew how I wanted to face or how I wanted to pitch this guy based on the prior experiences and what my strengths were. And so I think all of that told it's slowing down the game. um, And it's kind of the reverse effect of what they wanted for the intention of speeding up games. And in all honesty, in a year like this, when you have expanded rosters, more access to pitching newer pitchers and more dilution of the talent pool, how can you expect to speed up games anyway? 
Yeah, you should. Uh, you're, that's true. You probably shouldn't have had the anticipation of speeding up these games. That's and the younger I mean. guys have a tougher time controlling the zone. Yeah. Uh, hitters nowadays have better ideas of the zone. So, I mean, how many 3-2 counts have we been in that that extends innings too? But we also have the high strikeouts that nobody cares about. Batting average has gone by the wayside. And it's, you know, lift and separate and, and power pitching. A um, couple of interesting stats I didn't know you, you know about. And I'll just finish off Blum's bat blast with this. This is the first year in the history of Major League Baseball that, that the, the, the average number of fastballs thrown is under 50%. I think it's right around fastballs are being thrown at 48%, and the other 52% are all off speed, which is crazy. So crazy. And this is the third lowest batting average for the major leagues uh, ever. So that kind of puts it in perspective, too, with some of these guys not putting up the numbers. Well, and I just think it has to do with that dilution. I mean, you know, you can't scout these guys. These are guys that came, you know, that you or don't you came have to any... a point, but nothing translates to a big league at bat. Yeah, right. And then I think that makes sense. You know, we should try and get Brent Strom on. I'm sure he'd come on the podcast. I'd love to hear his thoughts on um, what you just said about the pitching, um, the, uh, I guess, the lower batting average. What was your first point, the first stat you brought up? Oh, the, 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 the number of fastballs. So if you were oh. actually breaking down the pitch usage throughout, throughout the course of the season, yeah. 2020 is the first season where the fastball has been used le less than 50% of the time. And that makes no sense to me. I used to have this argument with a guy who didn't make it to as high a level as I did. But, you know, granted, he wasn't a big leaguer, neither was I. I would ask him all the time because he was always thinking, you know, like, you know, trying to analyze hitting. And, you know, it's an A-ball guy from college. And he said to me, I, I go, what pitch do you think good dead red fastball hitters get out on the most? And he's like, oh, yeah, the combio, the changeup. And I'm like, no, it's a fastball. It's a it fastball. Is. you got to challenge them in a, hit, in a pitcher's count away from the zone, something that they can't really handle. And people don't understand that. I mean, I would love, like I said, just to have Brent Strom on for like five minutes to say, hey, Brent, like what would you throw a guy who's a dead red fastball hitter to get him out? Get ahead of him and get him out with the fastball. Just elevate it, move it off the plate where they can't center it and get him out with the fastball because – I mean, I, I'm, I sound like the crotchety old man too, but if I know that you're a fastball hitter, I may throw you a slider earlier in the count. I may throw you a changeup to plant the seed. And then I'm going to try and get you out with a fastball that's just not somewhere you can handle it because it's harder to react to and you want to react. You want to hit it. So mm -hmm. I think that, that that stat just blows me away. I mean, mm -hmm. it got me to the point where I had to re-ask because you re read the stat and I'm like, wait, that's amazing. Yeah. Right? Well, I bet Brent Strom would agree with me. I don't know what you think. You know oh, better yeah. than I do. No, because friggin' fastball. Always, so it goes to the three-two counts. The control is an issue for for pitchers because they're throwing more, pitching less because they want the high velocity number, and all of a sudden we're just not seeing fastballs. It's it's just amazing to me. It's it, it's funny to me to think that in a two-zero count they would rather have, you know, let's say. Man, I can't. So let's say the average, the batting average against your fastball or Justin Verlander's fastball, just as an, as an yeah, example. mine or Justin Verlander's equivalent no. batting average against. No. Yeah, I know. You know, I'm giving potato, you a potato, potato. Here we go. <laughs> so let's say the batting average against the fastball is 200. You're going to go out there and throw a slider. Say your slider has a batting average of 290, and you're in a 2-0 count. You're going to throw the slider before the fastball. You're not going to challenge the guy. That's what I don't understand is that, you know, you'd rather have a guy not swing at your slider called for a strike and give him another chance to get out, or you're not going to challenge him in a 2-0 count and play the what-if game. If I actually make my pitch, I'll actually get the guy out. 
Yeah. I mean, I just think if you're throwing the ball 94, 95, yes, a 2-0 fastball or a 3-1 fastball is definitely something a hitter is looking for. But I mean, you know, a 2-0 fastball away, even if the guy centers it up, is is such a better pitch. I mean, I, I just anyway, that stat blew me away. So yep. that's, that's that's a good one. Yeah, and uh, that's going to do it for us here on Bleacher Blums. Uh, we appreciate you all tuning in. It's been an interesting week with uh, the postponements of basketball and baseball. There you go. This we are the we are the example to be followed for social distancing. Because you're about, what, 1,500 miles away? I mean, that is right. perfect. perfect. I mean, that builds a beautiful relationship. So I appreciate you doing that. Uh, but uh, interesting week with the postponements. And then, uh, oh, man, the fires out in California, the hurricane that just went through Louisiana. Just want to let everybody know that we're thinking about them, and especially those who actually put their uh, lives on the line to go out there and protect us from fires and put those things out and – those who go out there and actually help everybody recoup and rebuild after a hurricane like we just saw in Louisiana. So we hope all the frontliners are still continuing to do well, all the first responders doing even better, and uh, let, let you know that Bleacher Blums is thinking about you. Tuttle. Yeah, uh, I stood up for this maybe a little early, but this is my Crush City Tees, my social distancing T-shirt from Crush City Tees, a longtime sponsor of the podcast. I want to give a shout out to uh, Just Geek It Solutions. Uh, Jake over there had had us retweet something about getting your laptops and your computers off, yeah, the, was good advice. off the floor in the hurricane zone and uh, you know protected because that's where most of our stuff is now in the IT world. It's up in the cloud. So I uh, wanted to make sure we gave those two sponsors a shout out. They've been with us from the beginning. Just Geek It Solutions and CrushCityTees.com, which is also for the age and or Ram shirts. So thanks to you guys for sponsoring us. Jeff's already touched on all the prayers and thoughts and everything going out. Here are the wildfires in California. Brought my mother-in-law into town for three days and now she went back. She was wanting some clean, fresh air down here in Southern California. So got to thank him for sending the mother-in-law my way. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so condolences and uh, thoughts and prayers to everybody. Uh, stay safe out there. Um, be well and uh, you know until the next podcast Jeff you know what they got to do right they got to get after it but most of all they've got to believe it 